Living Stones is a weekly conversation about living a truly Catholic life. Deacon Harold Burke Sivers and Ken Hellenius help you deepen your relationship with Christ and His Church, discussing practical ways to grow in faith, participate more fully in the liturgy, and practice charity towards all. Hello and welcome to Living Stones. I am your co-host, Deacon Harold Burke Sivers. I'm joined, as always, from the virtual studios in South Bend, Indiana, my friend and compatriot, the man who designed the costume for the cartoon character Underdog, <laughs> the one and only Ken Hellenius. <laughs> Ken. Deacon. There seems to be a slight bit of confusion. I actually designed Under Ruse, not Underdog. <laughs> Yeah, big fan. I mean, anything, you know, and I also really love Garanimals, you know, where it has the alligator on the top and the alligator on the pants. And so I know that they match. Oh, my goodness. If only there was uh, adult versions of these things. I'm telling you, my life would be so much easier. That's so funny. I totally remember Under Who's Man. Are they they still around? You know. Wait a minute. Did my kids have Under Who's? I think underoos are still a thing. Yeah. I I don't think they did. I think this is a fantastic sponsorship opportunity. Look, if you're you're listening and you happen to have a connection to the underoos company, Deacon Harold and Ken would love to chat with you because this is a fine opportunity to reach, to reach an authentically Catholic audience from coast to coast in the United States. How about St. Underoos? That's what we need. You know, a little something like <laughs> where like, uh, you know, the top part looks like St. Philip Neary, you know, and you get the kind of, I, I'm, there are lots of opportunities here. Adult Underoos, <laughs> give us a call. Living Stones Media on Facebook. <laughs> hope I didn't just uh, violate don't uh, have a whole bunch of laws. I know. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I know. <laughs> exactly. Oh, well. <laughs> Uh, what fun deacon so what's uh, going on uh, on campus yeah well of course it's uh we're very near the end of the uh, semester now of course uh so you know we're getting at thanksgiving so we have just a tiny little bit of respite for the uh, for the students uh but then the final push and so um november has been a, an exceedingly busy month just lots of things. You know, in my office, we actually hosted our annual fall conference earlier this month in which we had over a thousand guests came to campus. We chatted about uh, creation, you know, kind of a broad topic, but it was absolutely fantastic. And lots of students participate in this as well, attending the talks and uh, serving as uh, volunteers, you know. Um, And then, gosh, it's just been so busy and so constant, uh, but uh, the end is in sight. You know, uh, as they say, the end is near. So I, I need to be carrying a big placard out, out in front of the building, going back and forth, saying the end is near, which is both a warning and a sign of joy, to be honest. <laughs> that's awesome. How about you? Oh, that's great. Yeah. So after I got back from Minnesota, I went to uh, Federal Way. I did a retreat for the art for men of the Archdiocese of Seattle. And what's awesome, you see, they have the men's conference during the spring. And then they have a retreat during the winter. So there's, you know, so there's the conference and then like the retreat. So there's something every six months. Oh, wow. In addition to any any monthly programs that parishes may have for men. I think that's a that's a great idea. And they've been doing this for years. Fantastic. So uh, kudos to the folks there in the Archdiocese of Seattle. It was at a wonderful time, you know, and I took the train back 
you know, because I, I, I flew into Seattle, but then took the train. But I love trains, man. So oh, yeah, I, any yeah. opportunity to ride a train, you know, I, I'm there. Yeah. You no. Know, so that yeah. was fun. And then I did another talk for Sophia Institute. Oh, yeah. Uh, I've been doing a number of talks around the country for teachers and educators, which I've absolutely loved doing. I mean, teachers had a huge influence on me, uh, especially in high school. So to be able to give back in this way, to to share the beauty of the faith, different aspects of the faith with teachers and educators in the, in the Catholic world is just fantastic. And that was in Austin, Texas. Then I went to a parish that's had me there a number of times in Orange, Texas, small little town, Orange, Texas, but uh, uh, I've been there several times and I was there for a youth event talking about the Eucharist. Yeah. Again, in keeping with the bishop's theme for the next three years on the Eucharist. And I love talking to kids about mass. You know, because you once you once they understand why they're there and they make the connection between what's happening at mass and their everyday lived experience, the light bulbs just go off. And obviously, you just like you see them like, oh, wait a minute. Now I understand why why we're there. And, you know, and, and you, you stop hearing things like why I have to go, mm-hmm. you know, because that's that's the that's not the impression like, oh, I have to be in love with my wife. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> you don't you don't think of relationships that way. Oh, I have to love her. You know, no, no. There's a desire there, yeah. and once you understand why you're there and how it's connected to your life, the desire in your heart gets filled up, and now you want to be there because you want to be in deeper intimacy. You want everything that God is giving you in the mass, and so I, I love talking to young people about that. And so now I get a little break. Uh, you know. Uh, uh, for a while, you know, for the for the next week, and then Thanksgiving, and you know, <laughs> just so. a little break <laughs> for a week. Yeah, yeah. Oh my gosh, yeah. <laughs> well, that's fantastic. but uh, but it's all good. It's all good. Yeah. You know, I think I mentioned a few weeks ago when we were on pilgrimage in Italy, we specifically offered this to our students as a Eucharistic pilgrimage, and so we got off the mm-hmm. airplane and we hopped on the bus and we went directly to Orvieto. Uh, and in Orvieto oh, is the yeah. Corporal of Bolsena that uh, was a Eucharistic miracle of 1264, 1263, somewhere right in there, in which the host bled onto the corporal itself, the altar cloth. And St. Thomas Aquinas prayed before this great Eucharistic miracle as he was writing the words to the Mass of Corpus Christi, the Lauda Zion, um, the the great sequence for Corpus Christi Mass, and um, among among the other prayers, and uh, then we went to Assisi, where we saw the body of Blessed Carlo Acutis, a young man who died at the age of fifteen, who was himself a great devotee of the Eucharist, raised in a family in a non-religious family, but he found his source of joy in the Eucharist itself. And so when you're describing your talk, you know, kind of giving talk to students there in Texas and helping them discover that it's not a have to, but it's a get to. It's a, I get to go and worship Christ in the Eucharist at the Mass. That, to me, is what I discovered and heard from Blessed Carlo Acutis. And I know that our students, our college students, uh, themselves were incredibly touched by that experience of seeing another young person, a person like themselves, <laughs> laid out in a track jacket and in blue jeans and in Nikes, who was a great wow. apostle of the Eucharist. And that was incredibly affecting. Even to jaded old Uncle Ken, 
even to me, it was just incredibly awesome. And uh, that's where I think, you know, what you what you say there, you know, it's a relationship. Christ invites us into this relationship, a relationship of love where he has poured out everything, his body, his blood, his soul and divinity to feed us and to nourish us on our journey to heaven. It's so fantastic. I, I, I love it. Even as I'm describing it, I'm, I'm getting a bit of the chills again. So God bless God. God bless God for the Eucharist. He is incorrupt. Yeah. So what you see is a, um, kind of a, a bit of a covering. I mean, uh, he's un he is incorrupt underneath the, uh, the externals. They've kind of put a little wax over his face, I believe, in order to, because of the effects of light. Uh, but he is on display. You can see him. I mean, and there's his, like I say, what really struck me is his black Nikes and his Levi's. It's just wow. amazing. You know, you think about the saints and we think about people who lived hundreds of years ago. We, we may think about Mother Teresa. We may think about St. John Paul II. We may think about Paul VI. But these people had religious habits and had their, their clerical garb. Blessed Carlo Acutis is like you or me. He's laying in an Adidas jacket and in Nike shoes. Talk <laughs> about mixing his brands. But I mean, still, it's somebody who's wearing what I wear. And that is unlike anything I've ever seen before in, in all of my journeys, in all of the times that I've gone to, to see saints. And I've seen incorrupt saints before, but this one... This one really affected me. Wow, that's yeah. awesome. See, yeah. and, and this is one of the reasons why people should go on pilgrimage. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, that's uh, that's what we've been talking about the last few weeks is is the reality of pilgrimage. And um, last week we started reading together this wonderful short document, relatively short document uh, called The Pilgrimage in the Great Jubilee. And it was uh, published in 1998 in preparation for the Great Jubilee of the year 2000 by the Pontifical Council for the Pastoral Care of Migrants and Itinerant People. Big long title. It just means the little office in the Vatican that provides specifically pastoral care and support to people who don't have a home and people who move around a lot, but they also care for those who travel. Makes sense because we're all travelers in a way. And that's essentially actually what this document is about is the fact that we indeed are all travelers. We are not at home on this planet. We are destined for the kingdom, the kingdom of God, the new and eternal Jerusalem. And so um, this particular document, we're going to pick up our conversation with paragraph four, uh, because uh, in this document, they kind of trace the history of what it means to be on pilgrimage, what it means to be not at home in this world. And uh, in paragraph four, they begin by chatting about the Adamic pilgrimage, as they call it, or Adamic, the pilgrimage of Adam, of the first human, the first man. And as it says, the, the first one starts with coming forth from the hands of the creator, from the entry into the world of creation, and from the subsequent wandering without aim, far from the Garden of Eden. So this pilgrimage of Adam is very much, as it says, from the call to walk with God to his disobedience and to the hope for salvation. This reveals the full freedom with which he was gifted by the Creator. And at the same time, it discloses the divine commitment to walk beside him and to watch over his steps. Because that's really the story of the beginning of Genesis, of the fall. The creation and fall is a story of are being created and walking with God in the garden in complete and total fellowship. But then a disobedience. 
the disobedience of pride, the disobedience of simply wanting to do what God said, do not do because we will die. But then God not completely abandoning us. That's the most important lesson that we gain from Adam's beginning of the pilgrimage. Yeah, and we have to remember too that the word Adam in Hebrew has a sense of humanity in its fullness, right? So we keep talking about Adam, Adam, but uh, Eve is also part of that as well. Because remember, the two of them are one, right? You know, so it's it's not we're not denying the importance of Eve here, but Adam has that sense of fullness of humanity, like uh, more so in Genesis one, obviously, but very much so in in both Genesis accounts that. Eve is right there with him. So again, as Adam is the, in a, in a sense, the head of the family, because his job is to serve, protect, and defend. Um, that's why his name is, is that's why it's Adamic. But we can't forget that it's both, you know, uh, uh, that all humanity is represented in the person of of uh, Adam there. Just wanted to just, no, I didn't want the ladies to feel left out. <laughs> <laughs> I'm grateful you reminded me because of course, yes, this is, uh, you know, we, we say, all have sinned in Adam, but it's it's we've all sinned as children of Adam and Eve. Absolutely. This uh, section goes on to talk about for every person, every wrong way can be transformed into an itinerary of return and embrace. So in the story of Adam and Eve, we see them being driven out of the Garden of Eden. But it's also the beginning of the story of redemption. It was to Eve that we hear the proto-evangelium, right? We hear the first gospel proclaimed that Mary's child, that, say I say Mary, because of course we know later that, I mean, spoiler alert, but uh, Mary's (laughs) obedience reverses the disobedience of of Eve and Adam. Uh, Mary's obedience to the word of God to be open to uh, receive his son in her womb is what, undoes the knot of disobedience that Eve uh, and Adam basically tied up uh, in their in our will. But um, this document goes on to say, there's a universal history of pilgrimages that includes a dark stage through the roads of darkness, the crooked paths, but it also includes return and conversion through the path of life, of justice and peace, of truth and fidelity, of perfection and integrity. This is a really funny set of sentences, Uh, and I say funny in the sense of I have had this experience on pilgrimage. This universal history of pilgrimages includes a dark stage. You get midway through a pilgrimage, and all of a sudden, I don't want to be near anyone. I just want to be alone, and here I am on this trip, and I'm surrounded by people and eating meals with people that all of a sudden are grating on me, (laughs) and even me, an extreme extrovert. Every now and then, you know, you get the sense of, I just want to be alone and I want to be able to pray on my terms and at my speed. And this is kind of a practical aspect of pilgrimages. It happens. I'd like to think it happens to everybody. I know it's happened to me just about every time I've gone on a trip is that these are the sorts of things that grate on us because we still, even in the most holiest of moments, we still are human and we still have the desire to be disobedient. That's just the way our wills are created. Not, it's the way our wills have, have what we've received from Adam and Eve. It's a, it's the gift of original sin in a way. Is this an experience you've had too, Deacon, or, or am I just weird? Well, no, I mean, uh, I, I am an introvert, although people 
find it hard to believe because when they see me speak, you know, <laughs> how could you be an how could you be an introvert? But I am. And and what I found on pilgrimages is, is I, I love my alone time, right? That that's why I always get a uh a single room, just me, you know, which that gives me time to pray and and do all the other things I need to do. But for me though, pilgrimage is about helping people to enter into a deeper experience of Christ, but also entering help entering into people's experiences mm. you know yes and, and i think that's the that's what what i enjoy most although it does take me out of my comfort zone quite frankly but it's a beautiful way of when, when people experience something and, and they share that with you or they share with you why they're there or what they're hoping for maybe there there's a downturn in their spiritual life and experience and you know they're they're looking for the pilgrimage to kind of to be a way to spark that flame of love. You know to 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 fan the flames of of desire in their hearts again for the Lord. You know maybe to put the Lord back as being the primary in their life. Maybe some other things, the busyness of life got in the way, and they and God kind of got pushed to the side. And this is a way of rekindling that that desire, that love again. You know so this entering into those experiences. I remember in. Uh, walking around the the plaza in the Czech Republic with a woman who's been a, a supporter of mine for for many many years she makes a uh, she's very very kind and makes a monthly donation um to my apostle which she's done for years and it's the first time I actually got to spend any time with her and just to walk around the plaza we had some free time just to walk around the plaza just to get to know her to to hear her experiences to hear the challenges to hear the struggles you know, and how the pilgrimage has really brought her to a new level of hope in her life. It's like just really just wow. You know, it's just uh, th- those are just really wonderful moments. And I think maybe that's that's talks about the path of justice and peace of truth and fidelity. You know, um, it helps people kind of get back on that road again. You know, like a you're going down a river and there's a tributary. You kind of get lost in a tributary, but. The goal is to get back down that stream and keep flowing down the river of life, you know. And uh, so I think pilgrimages are a great way to help people do just that. Absolutely. Well, the next section here in t- uh, kind of explores the Abrahamic pilgrimage. So this is different than the Adamic pilgrimage because this is the story of one responding to God's call and stepping out in faith. So Abraham himself, of course, we know, was called to leave his country and to go to a place that the Lord promised him. And uh, this document says, by leaving his country, his family, and his father's house, Abraham goes with trust and hope towards the horizon that the Lord indicated. As the letter to the Hebrews reminds us, quote, it was by faith that Abraham obeyed the call to set out for a country that was the inheritance given to him and his descendants, and that he set out without knowing where he was going. By faith, he arrived as a foreigner in the promised land and lived there as if in a strange country. They lived there in tents while he looked forward to a city founded, designed, and built by God. All these died in faith, recognizing that they were only strangers and nomads on earth, as it says. This idea that Abraham and his descendants lived in tents while they looked forward to the city founded, designed, and built by God. You know, a tent, of course, is a temporary structure. It's not your permanent home. It's something that you you are able to fold up and move to the next location on your journey towards your destination. In our own time, of course, you know, when we go on pilgrimage, we don't necessarily live in tents unless you happen to be going on one of those backpacking pilgrimages. 
but we do live in temporary houses, right? A hotel is basically, a, it's a temporary house that we stay in on our journey, on our pilgrimage. So we too have an experience of this is not my permanent home. This place right here where I unpack my suitcase for the night, I will pack up my suitcase and leave in the morning. And I will be going on journey, continuing my trip towards my goal. So we too have this experience, a similar experience of what uh, what Father Abraham did as well. Yeah, and it goes on to also talk about the exotic, not exotic like <laughs> like, an ex- like a flamingo or something like that, but E X O D I C, the Exodus, the uh-huh. exotic pilgrimage uh, to the Promised Land. So we go from Abraham to to the Exodus, Moses, and the you know the the chosen people wandering through the desert, you know, trying to get to that promised land and being fed by the manna in the desert, you know, yes. um, and quails, you know, the the flesh from heaven, but also uh, the darkness of that period, the infidelity, the idolatry with the golden calf, you know, the temptation to go back into slavery. You let us out in this desert to starve. Oh, we missed the pomegranates and the figs and the, oh, and the, the flesh pots. Back in, yeah, the flesh pots. Yeah. You know, yep. it's just, it's so human. You know, that, that journey is so human because we get so comfortable. We forget, you know, didn't we, wait a minute. Remember the Red Sea? Remember God split the, the ocean open and we walked through? Remember that? Right. How could you forget so readily? You know, but but that's so human in our experience that we sometimes get so comfortable we forget. And pilgrimages are reminders, you know, of what our true journey is, you know, where our true ultimate goal is, where the end of our life is leading us. I mean, I, I, beautiful reminders of that. And I always see pilgrimages like the people of Israel, you know, it says they're lost, but they're heading someplace. You know, they, they have a, they have a goal. Um, that they're trying to get to and, and all the, the, the good and the bad that happens to them over those 40 years. Um, again, what's 40? 40 is a, the number of gestational weeks in a pregnancy. It's a time of, of, of longing, of waiting, of anticipation, you know, and, and that's what our life is. You know, it's, it's a journey of longing and anticipation. This section also discusses how the Lord himself is on pilgrimage with his people. You know, mm. we know, as you, as you said, Yahweh God led the people of Israel by the pillar of fire by day and the pillar of, well, the pillar of fire uh, by night, but the pillar of smoke by day, you know. Um, and then, of course, when he was saving the the people of Israel in the Red Sea, he went around behind them to protect them from the enemy behind, from the forces of Pharaoh. Yahweh leads his people and goes with them. And then, of course, when they construct uh, at the command and design of God, they construct the Ark of the Covenant. God literally goes in the midst of the people. God leads them. In uh, He's present, you know, in in uh, the, on the mercy seat. This is God traveling with His people. God not leaving us alone. And as you said, you know, God feeds His people with the manna. He feeds His people with the quail. He uh, gives His people drink the water from the rock. And as we know, the rock was Christ, as we as we read in the New Testament. So the Lord does not leave us alone, even on our own personal exodus, on our own leaving from the land and, and the life of sin towards the promised land, towards our heavenly uh, Jerusalem that we are journeying towards as well. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, and one thing I found interesting here when it talks about the ascents, 
um, you know, it talks about the, the uh, in paragraph seven, the ascent, which <laughs> in the great in the three great solemnities of the Feast of Passover, Feast of Weeks, Feast of Tabernacles, you know, th that's Psalm 120 to 134 are called the gradual Psalms or, or the songs of ascents. You know, um, and, and they, where they were on pilgrimage. Yes. Yeah. Because even even if you're coming from the north and you're going south to Jerusalem, you're going up to Jerusalem. Right. Right. <laughs> no matter what direction you're going, always going up to Jerusalem. And so they have those songs of ascent or gradual psalms that they sung um, as they went to celebrate the Feast of Passover, the Feast of uh, Weeks, or the Feast of Booths, the Tabernacles. You know, um, and, and so we do that on pilgrimage as well. You know, on the on the bus, you know, we're we're singing songs of praise, we're praying, we're praying the rosary, we're doing a chaplet, we're doing all these things again as a spiritual preparation uh for these different journeys. And so, you know, just like they were journeying on pilgrimage, they were singing psalms of praise, we're also praising the Lord on pilgrimages as, as well. I think even to this day, the um uh, Jewish people that move to Israel talk about making Aliyah. They're making their ascent to return. Uh, and uh, that just, it, it fits, you know, having been to the Holy Land. Of course, the Temple Mount, you know, and the temple itself is above a valley. You know, and you do climb up towards it. Um, even even what's left, the Western Wall, the Wailing Wall, is a structure that is high, that you look up. You would be looking up towards the Temple Mount itself, towards towards the place where God dwells among man. Um, in our churches, the sanctuary is raised up. The sanctuary is able to be seen. It's at the front as we're looking liturgically east. We are looking up towards the altar. We are looking up to, to the tabernacle, the place where God dwells among men. This is, this is who we are. We physically embody in our own structures, even to this day, the realities that we learned about, that, that God revealed to himself, revealed himself to us, uh, whether it be on top of Mount Sinai whether it be in the garden, uh, wherever it be, we look up towards God to be in communion with him. But Deacon, as always, we've run out of time for tonight. And so we need to continue our conversation uh, and kind of pick this up. Let's talk about Christ and Jesus Christ and his pilgrimage among us when we pick up our conversation next week. How does that sound? That sounds great, Ken. Can't wait. <laughs> We invite you to connect with us on Facebook. We're on at Living Stones Media. You can download previous episodes of the show at moderndayradio.com. But until we gather together next week for our radio pilgrimage together, Deacon, might we have a blessing. May Almighty God bless you and keep you, the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. We'll see you next week here on Living Stones. You've been listening to Living Stones with Ken Hellenius and Deacon Harold Burke Sivers. Living Stones is produced at the studios of Modern Day Radio in Portland, Oregon. For more information about this show, go to moderndayradio.com. That's M A T E R D E I radio.com.